Hey everyone, welcome to the Perseverance Podcast. We're back. Hey Holly. Hi. Happy New, New Year. Year. I cannot believe 2024. Four. I'm still writing 2021 on the date <laughs> on things. Hey, just listen. stuck. You're just stuck right there. You're just stuck right there. I know uh, my wife and I were talking the other day about some of our COVID experiences and we're just like stuck at certain moments. Yeah. There. Uh, I think I had PTSD moment when we found a mask or like a, a COVID kit. Oh my gosh. Like, no, 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 no. Anyway. Trigger warning. <laughs> Trigger warning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, welcome to 2824. This is episode six. Yes. And you and I hung out a while ago now. Yep. And had back. some great conversation. Yes, so <laughs> awesome. And by the way, for you joining us, maybe for the first time, uh, Holly is on our staff. She's one of our site pastors. Yes. And Holly and I have known each other for a long while mm -hmm. uh, before Sanctus and now, of course, in Sanctus. Yeah. Okay, so today's conversation, um, I think, is actually really, really, really important. Yeah. Um, it's all around calling. And um, it's funny. In certain church circles, there's tons of conversation about calling. Yeah. In most church circles, it's totally gone. Totally, yeah, yeah. Totally gone. So we're going to dive into why this is critical mm -hmm. uh, to perseverance. And and I would say, by the way, if you've heard a podcast or a sermon on calling, I think we'd both say, hang in. Yeah. Because you're probably going to hear some stuff today you haven't heard in a while or ever, mm -hmm. I would say. So uh, we'll begin like this. Years and years ago... Uh, I don't even know what year it was. I was on a podcast with Carrie Newhoff mm -hmm. and, uh, and Carrie Newhoff, Landy's good friend of mine. And just a uh, little bit more North than we are. A, a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I did, uh, a mini part of what we're going to talk about in depth today. And you were sharing with me the other day that you actually listened to that podcast. I actually did listen to that podcast while I was kind, kind of wrestling out my own calling. So right. it was really interesting. I was looking for curriculum and stuff about it because I was trying to figure it out in my own life if I was called to vocational ministry. And so I came across a podcast by my senior pastor. I was like, well, this will probably be good. <laughs> Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Very kind of you. Yes, okay. Um, and then, yeah, that's where I first he heard you talk about it. But it was a while ago, but it's really important content. And so I feel like... It's it's a varied experiences of calling, which is really cool. It's it's language for us to understand uh, different experiences of being called into ministry. And uh, I'd love for you to just go through each one by one for us today, because I think it's a really important conversation to talk about all the different biblical experiences that we see of calling. Yeah. So this, um, I started thinking about this years ago, read some different people, different backgrounds, and realized that when you read scripture carefully, there are four distinct styles of vocational going into ministry yeah. lifetime calling. And I was struck by that. Just like we talk about disciplines and gifts, we were always working around here trying to get good theological definitions mm -hmm. to become anchors for the experience we all have. So we have unity. So um, I would say there are four, and I'll start with the first one, which, yeah. which you know is mine. It's a little personal yeah, for you. Yeah, it's a little personal for me. Yeah. So... Uh, the first one is like, uh, I have no choice calling. Uh, you can even <laughs> Held say, against your own uh, will. That, that's right. It's, it's rooted in sovereign decision. Mm -hmm. It's in your face. It's not North American. There's no voting. 
it is so, right? You are you, voluntold. You are voluntold. Yeah, that's right. Fundatory. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, this, of course, is best seen in people like Jeremiah. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, be, before you were created, I, I was calling you. Or uh, Saul to Paul. Yeah. It, you know. No choice in the amazing, matter. No choice. Uh, the conversation between the risen Jesus and Ananias when, when in the book of Acts, when Jesus says, oh, Saul of Tarsus is coming, and he's like, I know, oh, I have chosen him to be, you know, my witness to the non-Jewish world, and Ananias and is and like, like you, sh- you sure, you dude? Sure? He's like, actually, do you not know what he's done? And Jesus yeah. is like, enough, yeah. he's my guy. Uh, another, John the Baptist, even how the right. Holy Spirit fills him in the womb. So that type of calling story is epic, it's sovereign, mm-hmm. it tends to be really like, like wow, mm-hmm. it is so... And uh, the interesting thing we're going to get into this is, and especially for the audience listening, uh, you who are trying to discern calling, you who are already in calling, when you hang out in church circles, this is the one that's usually talked about. Right. Which is amazing and terrible. Mm. So we'll get to that in a minute. Now, in my own life, um, I'm a fifth generation Christian, actually probably Mm. more generations than that. Uh, Like my parents were missionaries. My grandparents were like Alliance Church, Youth for Christ, leaders. Uh, My other side, my great grandmother like started the prayer ministry, People's Church in Toronto. Uh, my other grandfather used to be on the worship team, though they didn't call it the worship team, the orchestra, you know, <laughs> and Massey Hall downtown Toronto during like the Billy Graham Crusades. Like there's all this incredible history that I'm really actually thankful for. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful it, legacy oh, of faith. To- to- totally. And we're we're actually right now in our church starting a series on how faith is generationally passed yeah. down, but there still has to be choice. Really cool. Um, but uh, there was no pressure in my family at all to go into ministry. It was n- none of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of that at all. And, and basically, you know, I have a series of experiences that happened to me. I, I did become a Christian at three. I did literally have the weird childlike, I was with a Baptist Sunday school teacher. She told me about Jesus. I went home with my mom. So good. I knelt at a chair. I actually remember doing it, accepted really Jesus cool. into my heart. Probably like one of your first memories. One of my, yeah, really, genuinely. And it's not like an invented memory, like a forced right. memory. This happened to you. You know, I did. And there was a bunch of things that happened uh, with me between that three-year-old moment in junior high Mm. that were all pretty particular, which go beyond what we're talking about today. But I remember I was in junior high. I was attending a church called Parkway Bible Church just in Toronto, in Mm -hmm. Scarborough. And um, I I had an encounter with the risen Jesus. I I don't know how to talk about it. And he basically said, you're going to be a pastor. And... Uh, and I remember saying to him, and, and again, uh, missionaries, uh, you know, paratri- no pastors. I mean, one of my right. cousins was a vineyard pastor. There, but like nothing, like first cousins. You had no like construct no, of it. No, no, not at all. And no weird pressure. And I remember, I, I, I laugh at this. So I'm a grade seven boy. Oh, man. Right. And I said to Jesus two things. I said, A, I don't know if I want to obey you sexually. So that's honest. Okay. Uh, and um, second of all, I remember saying to him, I don't know if I'll love your church enough. Wow, uh, and I was like, "Wow!" It's and so I found for like eleven yeah, yeah, year old boy, twelve year old boy, right? Um, I've always been a little intense. You know that. <laughs> anyway, Correct. so like uh, grade seven, grade eight, I really was on, you know, on fire to use that old term, right. really in, but really struggling. And interestingly, in my walk, I I said, "No, I'll obey." In grade nine, wow, and I hadn't been water baptized yet, and so I said to Jesus, "What I'll do is I'm going to get baptized because it's your command." And when I put on the wedding ring, basically, I'll also Mm. agree to the calling, not just my salvation. Wow. Uh, And I was baptized in a freezing cold. 
Oh, man. Side note for everyone watching. I was baptized in a baptistry where the heater broke. And and uh, so it was like freezing cold. I think it was like in February. And the senior pastor's legs like went blue underneath the robes. But oh, the my gosh. pastor wore fishing waders. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that was... So for me, that was a dramatic... This yeah, is, this is happening, and then from that moment forward, yeah. my life la- literally changed. Yeah, of course. In like, there's school. a very clear fork in the road. Very this much is, so. I am deciding to yep. do this. Started literally thinking about high school courses in relation to studying, right? Like, Seminary, everything, all, all of that, and uh, crazy stuff in high school, which is really funny. kind of you know Jesus to give you a heads up in grade nine when you're picking courses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very thankful. <laughs> so, what was amazing about that was it was like I knew. Yeah. What was dangerous about that is I thought any other version of calling was fake or lesser. Right. So again, I'm just teasing this out yeah, a little bit more. for sure. So number one is, you know, oh, I have no choice. It is so. Yeah. Uh, the second one uh, is incredibly not Western. Yes. Very biblical. Very mind-bending for us in the Western In the Western world. world. And even, you know, a lot of you who are listening who are immigrants to the West, your mm-hmm. children or children's children living between those two worlds will sense a struggle. And so the second one is uh, calling by family. Right. So we see this in the story of Samuel. Yeah. Where you've got Hannah who, you know, goes and prays with her Dedicates. husband. And, and there's two wives and one can have children, one cannot. There's right. a whole, you know, it, there's just such trauma and pain there. A lot. She's like, literally so upset she's praying and the Eli the priest says you you drunk woman basically shut up yeah. how dare you do this before God and she's like I'm drunk I'm so broken inside I'm just sad yeah like deeply sad like as I say not crying from the chest but crying from the stomach right and um and anyway like she says Lord if you give me a child I'll give him back to you right and you know within one year she has this child and you know she weans him and then basically gives him into full-time ministry. And it's interesting that uh, there are multiple moments in church history, in scripture, and around the world right now where actually it's it's the grandparents, the parents, where the Lord speaks to them about mm-hmm. their children and their calling into ministry. And um, so it's still not voting. Right, right. <laughs> it's still not You like, are still voluntold. You're still voluntold. Now, of course, I want to clarify this as people are listening. Mm-hmm. There are manipulative parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles who are right. like, you have to be a pastor because I'm a pastor. And I, It's not that. It's not that. And again, of course, there's a discerning process. Yeah. But as a category, this is real. And what I, when I, you know, from a diagnostic standpoint, when I hang out, with leaders who have been in ministry for years or are considering ministry like you were when you first heard the podcast, one of the big questions I always ask people is, have you ever asked, if you come from a family of faith, have you asked what mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, what did they pray for Mm -hmm. when they knew you were coming? Totally. And most people, you know, because again, we've lost the, the value of memory and family and all of that stuff. Yeah. Most people never ask, but what's crazy is it happens. It's really neat. So uh, just go back to my story really quick. In my context, um, again, grew up very conservative Baptist, not charismatic, not weird stuff at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gospel, Gaither singing, <laughs> you know, King James-esque world. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. When I was six months old, my parents took me to this big evangelism thing. 
uh, actually just down the street here in Oshawa at a big hockey rink. How Canadians? And you're like laughing somewhere globally. And they, you know, of course, they used to call those things like crusades, which right. is just like what? Anyway, but I understood Billy Graham had them. Yes. This was a different guy in Canada. He was sort of like the Billy Graham of Canada. Mm-hmm. So I was in a stroller at six months old and this guy uh, walked up. His name is uh, Barry Moore. And he stopped. He didn't know my parents, didn't know me, mm. put his hand over my head and said, this child. Wow. Uh, this child will be a pastor and an evangelist or a pastor and a preacher or something. And like declared this thing over me. This guy's like hardcore conservative and literally walked away. And my parents were like, wow, that's weird. Right. But then at 13, when I told them what happened, my parents immediately went, oh my goodness. Wow. So anyway, what happens before matters later. It's true. And to even like for people listening and people who are kind of in that wrestle, I I feel like that is a cool thing to be able to ask anyone in your family who has a legacy of faith. Like, did you pray for me as a kid? What did you pray? Like, yeah, what were your you hope? led to be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and there might be nothing. Yeah, totally. And, and, and that okay. doesn't disqualify you. No, not, not at all. We'll get to the other categories <laughs> yes, where you're not voluntold. Yes. But yeah, it is like an interesting thing as you connect the dots and it, it's assuring, right? Totally assuring. Yeah, yeah, totally assuring. So anyway, you've got like the, I have no choice. I've sovereignly assigned you. I'm meeting you. You've got the family scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third one uh, wraps itself around what I'd call cluster of gifts. Right. Where there are certain, not acquired or natural gifts, even Mm -hmm. though they're helpful, um, but way more around certain clusters of spiritual gifts. Right. That when you have two or three or four of those in one individual, there's a natural ability uh, to do vocational ministry. Longer. It just kind of rises to the top. Yeah, it could be things like leadership, teaching, and shepherding. Like there are just yes. there are different uh, core clusters that if you take time, and again, we don't have time for the podcast today. Right. We talk about gifts here all the time. You can go to Sanctus and listen to the spiritual gift stuff or read Convergence. But mm-hmm. like at its heart, um, I think there there are uh, sovereign given clusters of gifts where allow some longevity and perseverance connected, obviously, to gifts. I think absolutely. To, to, sorry, to calling. I think Timothy's a great example of that. Right. Because, you know, Paul says, you know, we've prayed over you. Yes, you have You have a legacy of faith. There's this really mm-hmm. cool thing with his mom and grandmother, Eunice and uh, Lois, I think it is. I think that's right. I'm wrong. <laughs> Many will correct me online. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Couple but, comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, and, but also he talked about laying hands and the gifts being affirmed. And I, yeah. I, I think, um, and Holly, you and I, we were just before recording this talking about uh, both of our experiences of talking about gifts in other communities. But if you don't know your spiritual gifts and you Please. don't have clarity, uh, A, you're not going to walk in great power. The church isn't going to go forward, but also you might not know if you're called. Yeah, for sure. So it's a huge thing. And I think too, like obviously the context that I have to compare to this is is Sanctus. And so looking at our staff, looking at all of the different... Um, job descriptions, roles, like not everyone has the same gift mix. Like everyone is just vastly different, but we all have unique calling to ministry voices. So to, to feel like there's, oh, there has to be these three that rise to the top. No, that's not it. It's just that sometimes when we see gifts kind of clustered together, that does set itself up for someone who can lead a ministry. Yeah. And, and it could be volunteer based, Yeah, but there's also sometimes where I, you know, I just see this again and in a certain group of gifts become like a flare totally to go i need to i need to ask at least yes is this a vocational thing or a bivocational thing absolutely where i'm this plus this anyway so that's the third category and the fourth one is um really interesting it's just basically in the book of acts uh there's a vote right they they look around and they're like well 
I think you'd be great. <laughs> and everyone just sort of raises their hand and it's so, and we see that in the book of Acts. Yeah. And, um, and it's, what, what's, what's profound is this is the same sort of language around spiritual gifts too. Uh, they're all God-given callings. Mm -hmm. They're all equal in weight. Now, the this came home for me actually in this context. So the senior pastor I took over from in 2005 was a guy who became a Christian, married a woman who was not a Christian, became mm. a Christian after he got married, uh, entrepreneurial business guy. And, and, and basically when I heard his calling story, a bunch of people said, well, you'd probably a good pastor. Mm. And then sort of said, yes. And he just did it. And I was like, like gross. Mm. No, really. I remember going, that's not calling. Yeah. Like, what is that? And I remember as the youth pastor here, that inside me set me up to disrespect him, mm. set me up not to honor him, mm -hmm. and set me up to actually view myself as more spiritual. Mm. And then there was this moment years later where I was really being pissy. Hmm. And, you know, and I'll never forget the moment where the Lord said, stop it. Right. And, and I was like, what? He's like, he is called. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness. There's more than just my way. Yeah. And so when I, when I realized the arrogance, mm. it led me to a real place of humility, which I think was one of the seeds for this conversation, actually. Right. Uh, and I think on leadership teams and on staff teams, uh, what's so concerning is, A, there's a lot of people on staff teams who aren't even called into ministry. Let's just, I mean, yeah. that's problem one. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people doing ministry because they couldn't get another job. Yep. Or we have a lot of people in Bible college or seminary or whatever because they just, they don't know. Yeah. This is not the I don't know thing you do. Yeah. The, run. Do anything else but this <laughs> There thing. are easier I don't knows. <laughs> yes. Like a hundred percent. I mean, we're all called to serve. Yes. We yeah. all have spiritual gifts. Yes. But vocational long-term ministry, no. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, just like we talk about spiritual gifts, is when a staff team or you among other leaders in other communities can articulate your calling story. Yeah. And share it with others. And you have common language about four of them. Then you don't... Over what it does is A, it gives you language to affirm each other. Yep. B, there's no jealousy or over-spiritualization. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in the voting category or in the gift category hear the supernatural Jesus met John in the hall and go, right. oh, wow. Like, why don't I? Yeah. And then the people who meet Jesus in the hall are like, what do you mean you got to vote? Yeah, exactly. And you have this little line in that that chapter in Perseverance where you talk about this, where you compare it to salvation stories. Right. And that for me, like really just hit home because I was thinking about how we never discount someone's salvation story when it is just like, yep, over time, I just believed that this was true and it's not dramatic and it's not the, you know, uh, lightning Lord. struck me and the sure. Lord spoke to me. And that's not any more spiritual or profound than someone just saying like, I picked up the Bible, I read it, I believed it. And so to think about calling in that same way that like being told, voluntold yes. or, you know, affirmed in community, neither one is more spiritual, neither one is, you know, lesser, greater, whatever. But I think it is really helpful to view calling from all different directions as valuable, important, and just as like special and affirmed by God. Yeah. It's like what we say all the time about baptisms or salvations. Right. Uh, you know, I'm a former drug dealer who was in jail. Exactly. I was three years old and met Jesus through a Baptist Sunday school teacher. The power of the story is not in the power of the story. The power is Jesus. Yeah. So we'd say in calling theology, mm -hmm. the, the issue, the calling is great, but the person of profundity 
is the one who did the calling, yeah. which is God. Uh, so I want to just say, just take a pause for a moment and just say, you know, for all of you listening, do you actually know if you're called? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you wrestling through it? Do, do, do those four categories help? And, and again, in the book I wrote called Perseverance, you can read it, it goes way more in depth about the scriptures and the feelings right. and the style. But like, uh, have you ever shared this with other people? Have you ever even talked about this? Um, because it really matters because uh, long-term ministry sucks. Mm-hmm. Long-term ministry is hard. Yeah. Uh, long-term ministry is full of valleys and full of victories. And, you know, I heard this the other day. I do not know if it's a true stat, but, you know, I heard someone say the other day, you know, the average North American person has seven significant losses in their life in North America. Mm. The average pastor has seven a year. Wow. So even if that's not a true, true stat, yeah. stat and that can be like, people leaving or staff issues Mm -hmm. or deaths or, you know. You're in the line of fire. A thousand percent. And so if calling isn't secure, you will not stay. Mm -hmm. You you just won't. Yeah. Uh, There's nothing nothing to keep you here um, because, you know, ministry is not the best financial option. No. Right? Uh, No one's doing it for the money. No one's doing it for the money. Well, maybe a few are, but not in our world. (laughs) Uh, and, and actually, uh, it's just a really tough place. Yeah. Um, I was joking. I don't know if I said in a form of podcast, being a pastor or being a vocational ministry is like being a politician, but God and Satan are involved too. (laughs) Right. So it's even more, a lot more dramatic, a lot more dramatic. Um, so I would just say like, I, there have been multiple points in my run where I wanted to quit. I wanted out. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I said actually in the book during the pandemic, I was so hurt, so angry, so tired. Mm -hmm. I was sitting on a rocking chair. My wife came out and she said like, I have never seen you like this. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, in the Psalms, it says better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I don't want to be in anyone's court. I want to be a Walmart reader and I want to know nobody. Um, And I remember saying that out loud and my wife shook her head, walked away. (laughs) It's like February. I'm outside with a toque. And, and interestingly, in that moment, the Lord said, are you still called? Hmm. And I said, yes. He said, well, then the conversation's done. Wow. Now that wasn't like, let's not talk through all the stuff. Right. It was like that. Yeah. It's like, we know how this ends. Right. And it's sort of like, it's the rock. Yeah. Like if, if it's not clear, you crumble. Totally. Yeah. I think to... Uh, what's also really important and, and what's kind of cool, like for this moment, even having this conversation with you, it's a bit full circle because you were present in my calling conversation, um, affirmation and community uh, about six years ago when I was kind of wrestling with like, am I called to ministry? Is this just like a job that I took for the summer? What's going on? And I think what's so interesting about that is that, Uh, that's not the first calling conversation that you have had with people on our staff. That's and people, as you go travel around to different churches, you are constantly in this calling conversation with other people. And I think as a, as a senior leader, as a seasoned leader who is constantly bringing this up, this is so helpful for younger leaders to know, because if you don't have that experience of being called affirmed by community, going through that, if you don't kind of point people to hey, are you called? Is this a distinction that's happened in your life? Then there is no 
bedrock. There is no foundation to land on when times get hard. So I think too, like if you're someone who's been at this for a while and you know, like, okay, I am called to be, to ask other people if they're called, like it is a form of encouragement. And it's a reminder of like, in the same way that God reminded you, Hey, are you called? Okay. Conversation's over. So like to be that for younger people coming up behind you as well, as you were for me, like to be in that conversation so that I'm secure now in my call knowing, okay, I was called. I felt like I was affirmed by community. I'm called to do this. So when times get tough, I'm like, I know. So I I do think it is like a helpful uh, thing to remember when times get tough as you, you fall back on that, like, okay, no, this has already been established. Right. And it's, what's so critical is as we're seeing a massive clergy shortage. Right. And all these people don't want, you know, everyone's becoming a spiritual director right now or a counselor, which is fine, mm-hmm. but, and is, can be connected to call, but long-term vocational ministry, it's just collapsing. Right. And of course it is for a thousand reasons. And so if we're going to actually see another generation stand up, the, the reintroduction of theology of discernment of call yeah. is going to be like non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting, when we talk about call, even when we talked about call, uh, I think the most significant passage to think through calling is actually 1 Corinthians 4. Mm. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, uh, some of you are watching this TV, I'm, you can hear the, the pages <laughs> here. Uh, ASMR. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> but I just, it's interesting how Paul talks about calling and interestingly, Paul does it in a leadership crisis where the whole church hates him. Hmm. <laughs> so there's a much larger conversation. Than Not that. a great PR moment. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, and he says to a church that does not like him, hmm. he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, this then is how you should regard us. This is how you have to look at me, he says. Hmm. I'm just imagining this in 2023. I can't like, imagine just, it actually. <laughs> yeah. He said, as servants of Christ, those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Again, so much more in the book, but just want to do this. The word servant of God is a slave term from Mm. the Roman times, which is household slave. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, they were slaves that had full authority over everything in the house. So in the Old Testament, uh, Joseph, when he's in Potiphar's house, Mm. is this. Potiphar says, run everything. Right. And actually, it's sort of like, you have my credit card. Though you're a slave, you're in charge. Right. And so Paul says, my calling is so real that actually I've been given authority over this church, even though you don't like me. You actually have to regard me like this. I'm like, again, laughing <laughs> at 2023, you toxic leader, I'm going to cancel you. Right. But, this is, but this is true. And then interestingly, though, very important, he says in verse, verse two, because you're going to hear people say, that can be so abusive and blah, blah, blah. Well, yes. But again, authoritative leadership is not abuse. Mm-hmm. Want to keep saying that uh, because Paul demonstrates that, but he says in verse two, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So you don't just get to become a jerk. Well, I'm called, so screw all right. of you. It's like no, no. He says the authority to stay and the authority to lead is not from the church. Right. It's affirmed by the church. Mm-hmm. And I think you've said the word affirm five times. Yeah. And that's really good. If you think you're called and no one affirms you, good chance you're not called. Yes. We've all had the situation where it's like, I'm called. And we're like, no, you're Are you no. sure? Are you sure? Yeah. But verse two talks about growing character connected to calling. Yeah. But I think I think that first Corinthians four verse, verse one and two, so helpful. Cause then you go, if I'm called, that means I steward the mysteries of God. Mm-hmm. And actually I have authority. So once calling is established, then your authority to lead comes from the calling. 
Mm-hmm. It actually is the place where you have authority to lead out of. Right. And in a shifting culture where everything's changing 24-7, if you don't know you're called, you'll crack. And if you don't know who's got your back and given you the credit card, you'll also crack. Right. It's yeah. just like really difficult uh, to sort of to process that. And, you know, I know some people are listening right now and they're probably like really like reacting to what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, I just want to remind you that, you know, um, Paul was called by Jesus. And interestingly, Paul not only was called by Jesus, but when Paul's writing scripture, it's Jesus's spirit speaking through him. Right. Don't divide Paul from Jesus. You, yeah. It, it won't work. And I, I think that perspective of running the household, but you don't own anything well, is such a perspective shift because like when you think of any other career, you're thinking about accolades, you're thinking about achievements, you're thinking about, you know, what am I going to get out of this? What can I take home with me kind of thing? Right. But with ministry to run the household and not own anything means that like we have so much skin in the game and also none at all which somehow really helps with perspective when things are not going well and when things are going great. It helps you not inflate your ego and it also helps you not be down in the dumps when like things are not going well. It's this stabilizing kind of part of our calling to ministry that feels like, oh, it keeps you grounded in the middle. It keeps you humble. It keeps you like well acquainted with reality of like, okay, (laughs) this, this is, you know, I'm running this, but like none of this is mine. I made a joke when I was, uh, I've talked on this publicly many times. And when I finally wrote it down, I said, you know, every pastor, it seems in the last 10 years has quoted Lord of the Rings and I like Lord of the Rings, but I'm like, I'm not like a hardcore core Tolkien, but I, I, I do love it. Yep. Um, and it's interesting. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do one image. <laughs> and the one image was, uh, you know, if, if you only know the movies, the book people are going to be insulted. I just said that, <laughs> but if you know the movies, the, the, the third, the third one, the, um, there's this moment where there's a guy named the steward of Gondor. So a steward is one who uh, steps in for the king when the king is not present but owns nothing. Mm. Sim- exactly same thing. And if I, I, I remember watching it and it was like, oh my goodness, there was this huge white sort of, I think it was like a white throne. Mm-hmm. And then there was a smaller wooden throne. Mm-hmm. And the steward could only sit on the wooden throne, never on. And so um, in this moment, you know, the king comes back and he's like, no, I'm the steward. I don't care who you are. And he loses his mind to the point where like he basically starts destroying the kingdom. The invasion's happening. He's trying to burn his son alive. And I remember watching that going, oh my goodness, this is what happens in ministry. Mm. Again and again and again, when good leaders who started well mm-hmm. suddenly forget they don't own the kingdom. Mm. They're just stewards. We, you know, you said it. I, I've said it this way. I don't own the Bible I preach from. Hmm. I only have spiritual gifts because the spirit is in me. I don't own the spirit or the spiritual gifts. I don't own any property connected to this church. I don't own mm-hmm. any of the people. I own nothing. And what started forming when I realized how much authority I had and how much little and how much I owned nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. What it started doing for me is it started uh, undoing the temptation to control. Right. So so like a few things that I think, again, just soulfully helpful for us as leaders. Right. 
Uh, one of the things that came out of it for me is years ago, a friend of mine who was on staff said, there's two ways of viewing people in your church. You can view them like passengers in a train or like meat in a locker. And I said, what? And he said, right. and it's really profound. He said, if you, I'll, I'll now use this language. If you move from steward to owner, then you will try controlling your people and you'll want to hook them like meat and keep them in the locker and you own them. Hmm. And he said, the problem with that is people leave church all the time for a thousand reasons. Many of them right. good, many of them bad. Mm -hmm. He said, if you constantly are trying to own and control everything, it's really exhausting, tiring, and damaging. Right. He said, if you view people like a passenger on a train and they're on the assigned train for a period of time, and then they stop at a station and they get off and go on another train, or they choose not to get on a train at all, which mm. is not right, or if they get on the train and they weren't supposed to because that ticket wasn't right, that's all in God's hands. He said, it's so different. Mm -hmm. So for me, what's what was so freeing, so convicting was, oh my goodness, I'm the steward of Sanctus. Right. I'm one of them, mm -hmm. but as my role, I'm one of the primary stewards of Sanctus. And, oh, I own nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have the authority to lead. And when people don't like it, I still have the authority to lead. Right. And I still have to, I still have to grow in character. Verse two, right. this weird phrase in certain charismatic circles, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Well, yes. And also no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yes, actually some people actually need to start viewing pastoral ministry as holy calling right. that's been lost and other camps need to start, stop abusing that phrase and actually being more accountable. There's a mm -hmm. tension in there. But I, I think the, the big thing is uh, the lack of uh, wanting to control is huge. And the other thing it led me to do, and Holly, we were talking about this before, was I got into the spiritual discipline of praying for my successor. Mm. So one thing I try to do at least once a week, maybe two or three times a week, is what I will do is in my rhythm devotionally is I will pray for the person who will take my job. Mm -hmm. And I regularly pray they'll be more holy than I am, uh, more successful, uh, better gifted. And I also pray in that moment, Lord, when you tell me to go, help me not fight you. Wow. And I've been praying that now for like 10 years. Wow. And like what a discipline. And, what, and like how that would create stuff in your heart where you were really thinking about the next person and like putting your your heart in the right par posture right. to be praying for that person and reminded that you are not creating an empire. Uh, yeah. And, and again, you know, it's so interesting in these, in these conversations where right now because of culture, you know, big equals bad or big equals empire. And I'm like, oh, it's right. such a wrong conversation. Yep. Big or small is not right or wrong. It's the question of what's at the center of what's being built. Exactly. And it's never pure. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, yeah. you work with me. <laughs> I'm not Jesus. And the staff is like, amen. My wife's <laughs> like, amen. You know, of course, but like at its heart, I, you know, this is the posture I've tried taking. This is the posture actually I've tried teaching my children and my wife where we together, my wife and I, we would pray together we regularly say to the Lord, like, if you tell us, help us to be ready. Right. And it's just a really critical thing because it stems from, I'm clear, I'm going to be called till I die. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the authority I've been given. And right. that's connected to calling and spiritual gifts and anointing mm -hmm. and all that. And oh my goodness, I own nothing. Mm -hmm. That uh, ecosystem, I think, is really It's a healthy, healthy place to be, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I think... Also, you know, it's been a couple hard years yeah. uh, for pastors in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think 
after a couple hard years or maybe five now, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that this perspective and like viewing people as, yeah, passengers, I've actually never heard you say that, which is really, really profound and really interesting. And so as I'm thinking about it, um, to view your leadership role as that, to view your church as that, it takes the pressure off. Like it takes the pressure to perform, the pressure to please, the pressure to be everything to everyone. Correct. It takes that off off your shoulders and it frees you up to be who God's called you to be with the gift he's given you, with the authority he's given you. And you don't have to be anyone else because you're not in that, you know, control environment. You're not trying to like, yeah, stuff that meat into the locker. Like you're not just constantly trying to put your hand over everything to keep it in control. You have this perspective of like, I am just called to do the thing. Like you're fixed, your eyes are fixed. You are zoned in, you know where you're going. Yeah. And I would say, you know, as we come to an end of this conversation, this conversation has to go along with the gift conversation, which has to go along with the spiritual discipline conversation. Like they're all intertwined. Mm -hmm. But I think just for our audience, you you know, who is either discerning calling or you're in it, um, take some time this week, this month. Are you called? Right. Do you know if you're called? Have you asked the Lord? Have you been in ministry for years and you're afraid to ask if you are called? Yeah. Because actually, a lot of people actually need to have that conversation. Do you think God's good enough that if you're not called, he'd take care of you? Mm. Uh, do you think if you are not called, that actually you're still going to be loved and still valuable to the kingdom? If you are called and you don't want and you don't want to be anymore, are you going to submit to sovereignty because it's better? Right. Um, I think what Holly, Holly and I have even demonstrated how how it brings unity between teams. Have you talked about this on a staff yeah. team? Have you talked about this in peer circles? Uh, I love what you said that exhortation, Holly, where you said, "If you're older in ministry, are you clear about your own story? Mm-hmm. And by the way, have you asked others?" Mm-hmm you know, how they're doing, what that means. Facilitating this conversation is so helpful before people get down the road and get into frustration and finding out, yeah, well, maybe I'm not called. Like facilitating this conversation with people at the beginning is really helpful. Yeah. And this conversation can happen at any age and any stage in any moment. Yes. So like, yeah, don't delay. I think we would say experientially though, one of the best things out of this was not only understanding of authority, understanding of longevity, understanding um, the interplay between calling, gift, all of that stuff and character, but it's actually given us language just to talk, Mm -hmm. which I think is, I'm just going to keep saying this in this podcast, (laughs) so important because if you don't have good categories, you end up having bad conversations, Mm -hmm. which creates more smoke, which causes confusion and wrong expectations. Exactly. And I think, I think that's what's so helpful about the language around gifts, the language around discipline, the language about guaranteed and places of encounter, all of that stuff and, and helping name things, helping name experiences is so important so that everyone's clear about what they're talking about. Yeah. We hope that this has been really helpful to you. We really hope this conversation is going to spark some life. Uh, and maybe some longevity, some perseverance. Uh, Again, like we said, uh, in this conversation specifically, because actually the Perseverance podcast is way more than just what we've talked about in the book Perseverance. This actually, though, is, I think, three or four extensive chapters when you go through the whole thing. So encourage you to get Perseverance to think that through and talk about it in teams. Yeah, and we just, we hope this continues to be a helpful, life-giving conversation Mm -hmm. uh, to keep going. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Yeah. Thanks, everyone.